We are in this third section of the Gospel of Mark. So the beginning of the Gospel of Mark was about the invasion of Jesus and His kingdom into our world. And so we talked about that series as um, Thy Kingdom Come. And then the next part of the Gospel of Mark was that section where His ministry began to expand beyond Himself and beyond Jewish Galilee, um, really to anyone and all. And, And really, Jesus has this one central line where He says, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother or brother or sister. And so we talked about that section as um, thy will be done. And, and now we're in a third changing moment in the gospel of Mark where the, the author wants us to begin to recognize that the disciples are finally coming to get who Jesus is. Uh, and this revelation of Jesus' identity is going to come primarily through two very similar miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 Israelites and in a few chapters, the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles, both multiplication food miracles. And so because of that, we're calling this section, Give Us Our Daily Bread. And so um, I want you, as we're reading through this, to be thinking about um, the fundamental question of the Gospel of Mark, uh, especially this section of the Gospel of Mark, who is Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? Okay, before we go there, uh, I got to tell you a story about a children's sermon, Um, not one of mine. Um, This was a children's sermon about a pastor who had, at the sort of last minute, thrown something together. I, of course, have never done this with a children's message, but I hear that it can happen sometimes. The pastor at the last minute had thrown something together, hadn't thought through really carefully, and he said, I think it would be interesting to teach people what the word pastor means. By the way, the word pastor means shepherd. Okay, means shepherd. So he got up, kids came up, he said, hey guys, I want to tell you that in the Bible very often the people of God are called sheep, right? And so you guys are like the sheep and the people in the pews are like the sheep. And the Bible calls us sheep because, you know, sometimes we wander astray, we don't always make the best choices, we need someone to lead us. And so um, I want you to recognize that kind of just like your sheep, um, we, we need a shepherd. Uh, and, and, and can you guess who the shepherd is, right? And the pastor's thinking that it's going to be him. He's going to explain the word pastor. And one of the little kids raises his hand and he says, um, Sir, I think the good shepherd is Jesus. And the pastor's like, Oh, I didn't really think this through very carefully. Uh, okay, that's actually a better answer than I had planned. Good. Um, well, then what do you think I do? What's my job? And the little boy said, Sir, I think maybe you're like, maybe you're like the sheepdog. So good. Hey, while, while we're on this topic, um, a couple of sheepdog things you should know. So a shepherd is talking to his sheepdog. He says, I need you to go get the sheep and, and put them in the pen. And sheepdog goes out and does it and comes back. And the shepherd says, how many did you get? And the sheepdog says, I got 40. And the shepherd says, that's not right. I only have 37 sheep. And the sheepdog says, yeah, but I rounded them up. No? Okay. Okay. What? 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 Uh, so, uh, one more thing about a sheepdog. So, the sheepdog and a sheep go on a date, and the sheepdog says, "What do you mean I'm too controlling?" And the sheep says, "You heard me." Oh man! All right, you don't get any more. You're done. Um, how does that relate to what we're doing? Okay. Um, so. Uh, the end of the story is really interesting to me. The end of the story of 
uh, the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples go on their missionary journey. Then there's the feeding of the 5,000. Then there's the walking on the water. And at the very end of the story, we're told they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. It's a weird moment because we are following these disciples around, and, and they still don't get it. Right? I mean, Jesus has done all this stuff. Now they have done miracles on Jesus' behalf. We just did this incredibly important thing about the feeding of the 5,000 we'll get to in a minute. He just walked on the water, and we're told they still don't get it. And, and I wonder, um, we, we, are, we are sometimes difficult, uh, we are hard on the disciples because we get it, right? Because John, uh, rather, um, uh, Mark, the author of the gospel, tells us from the first line of his gospel who Jesus is. We can't believe they don't get it, but uh, I wonder if sometimes that's just part of the journey, right? That sometimes getting it, figuring out who Jesus is, can take us a long time. Uh, I think that in this section, Jesus is trying to move them from sheep to shepherds, and they are sheepdogs at best. Oh, see what I did there? That's good. Yeah, okay. Uh, I love it when a plan comes together. All right. Um, so, Jesus is trying to move them from sheep to shepherds, and they are sheepdogs at best. They just don't get it yet. So, uh, I want to think this morning about really two big ideas. Um, the, the main idea is, who is Jesus? And we're going to talk about um, a tale of two kings or two shepherds. And then, and then how do we respond and we're going to talk about two responses to Jesus. So, who is Jesus and how do we respond? So, again, key concept of the Gospel of Mark, um, other than we, the readers, and the demons who have supernatural knowledge, everybody in the Gospel of Mark is really struggling to get it. Even the apostles, even uh, the disciples who have been sent out and done miracles themselves, they're struggling to get it. And we get this incredibly significant moment uh, in the story of King Herod, where we're told Jesus' name has become known. Some were saying John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. Others said it is Elijah. Others said it is a prophet like the prophets of old. We're going to get that exact same language, that same speech from the apostles at the end of this whole section of Mark when they declare that Jesus is Messiah. Okay, so just hold on to that. Um, in, in the moment, the disciples are still saying, hey, we're not really sure we're not really sure. We don't get Jesus yet. And so, in, in the midst of their confusion, Mark and Jesus give this incredible explanation of two kings so they can get who Jesus is. So, here's the two kings. Uh, the first king is Herod, right? Herod Antipas, we've talked about already, kind of a bad guy, right? In fact, the, the number of things he does bad is so legion um, that some of them we miss, we miss some of them because we don't know the backstory and because our culture is different. Let me just quickly list off a, thing, a list of things that Herod does bad. Okay, so number one, we already talked about the fact that he uh, divorced his own wife so that he could have an affair and then marry his brother's wife. So you can see how that's a little bit problematic. Um, that wife is also his niece, which seems a little bit icky to us, I think. Um, we also get this conflict that Herod has with John the Baptist because um, this is kind of a traditional thing in the Old Testament, the prophet and the king butting heads. And we get a Herodias figure, his wife. By the way, his wife Herodias, that he had the affair with, his sister-in-law, niece, and wife, um, is named the same name as her daughter. So that got confusing too, right? We have Herodias' wife, and we have Herodias' daughter-in-law. 
So uh, his wife is kind of a Jezebel figure, uh, and um, they all have this dislike for John. They've arrested John. They've put him in prison. Um, but then we get to the next section. Um, he has a birthday party. Raise your hand if you ever had a birthday party before. Okay, come on. You, as a kid, really? Okay. Um, you will all be terrible first century Jews, okay? Because in the first century Judaism, having a birthday party was a sign of being a pagan, okay? Um, Christians, and well, they weren't Christians yet. Jews didn't have birthday parties. Only Greeks did, okay? So he's doing this pagan celebration, and as he's doing it, do you notice that he has his daughter-in-law come and dance for him? His wife is not there, uh, it sounds a lot like it's just a whole bunch of guys and his daughter-in-law dancing. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you're supposed to be feeling uncomfortable, okay? And he is so moved by her dancing, I don't mean emotionally, he's so moved by her dancing that he says, hey, I'll give you anything I, I got up to half my kingdom. Uh, by the way, he doesn't have the capacity to do this because Rome is really the ruler of this region and he is their vassal, so he can't even do what he's promising to do. But anyway, uh, he says, I'll give you half my kingdom. She goes to her mom. Her mom says, hey, here's an opportunity to use my daughter's attractiveness to my husband to kill the prophet I really don't like. And so she says, why don't you go see if they'll kill John the Baptist and bring his head on a plate to the banquet? And so they do. It's a bad story, right? I mean, this is a bad story. Uh, and we are to see this. This is the shepherd of Israel, right? This is the guy who's supposed to be king of Galilee where Jesus and all these Jewish people live. He's a bad guy. There's a lot else going on here. Uh, the, the death of John the Baptist is designed to foreshadow the death of Jesus. We can't get into all that now. Um, I, I think Mark wants you to compare Herod Antipas, the shepherd, with Jesus the shepherd. So notice the second part of the story as uh, the people gather around Jesus in the place where He's going to do this feeding of the 5,000. And we get this line, Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and He began to teach them many things. We've had this conversation before. Um, what was Moses' job before he became the leader of God's people? What did he do? I'll give you a hint. He wasn't a sheepdog. He was a shepherd, right? Okay. Um, what was King David's job before he became the greatest king of Israel? He was a shepherd, right? In the Bible, shepherd is a metaphor for king over and over and over again. Uh, and here, um, Jesus is saying, hey, your shepherd is AWOL. Um, you need a shepherd. Uh, he's, he's channeling Ezekiel 34, right? Uh, Woe to you, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? I mean, here's Herod having a banquet and murdering prophets, and here's Jesus saying, hey, we've got to feed the sheep. Ezekiel says, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Oh, by the way, um, Mark is also quoting Moses, right? In Numbers 27, Moses is speaking to God saying, hey, when I die, somebody needs to take over for me. He says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint someone over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is 
Um, as Mark is revealing to us, like the new Moses, right, the new David, he's the, he's the king of Israel, the king that they deserve but don't have. They've got Herod. They deserve, they need Jesus. Jesus is the one um, who maketh them to lie down in green pastures and restoreth their soul. Jesus is the one who recognizes that they need more than just um, food because man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus does what a shepherd does, what a king does. He leads the flock to food and to safety. And we get this incredible moment where um, they multiply the bread and the loaves for this huge crowd. Um, One more quick tangent. Uh, I've heard a number of people say about this moment, well, perhaps this was just an incredibly generous moment. Perhaps Jesus' preaching inspired all of this crowd to take what little they have and begin to share it with each other. And so, maybe it's not that there's literally a multiplication of bread and fish. Maybe it's just that, like, boy, this this spontaneous generosity happens when people hear Jesus' message, and they all share, and there's enough for everyone. And there's something attractive about that, but there are a couple of problems with it. Uh, The the first problem with it uh, is that while perhaps the people might have been prompted to share their food, it's hard to imagine that the water was prompted to be firm when He walked on it, right? We're dealing with the miraculous here. But more significantly, the whole point of this passage is that we have been trying to feed ourselves for a really long time, right? And we've had kings that take from us and feed themselves, but what we need is a king that provides for us. What we need is a king that gives us our daily bread, um, as Moses did with manna in the desert, right? Who takes care of us as a shepherd takes care of their sheep, because we can't do it ourselves. We need a king to do it for us. And so, at the end of this miraculous multiplication, we notice that there are 12 baskets of leftovers, because There is one basket for every tribe of Israel. It's Mark's way of saying and Jesus' way of revealing that He is the King of the Jews, right? That He is the one they've been waiting for. He is the shepherd they deserve. He is in the line of Moses and of David, but greater than both, and He will provide for His sheep. Okay, so two kings, Herod, Jesus. Um, Who is this man? He is the King of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews, not Herod, Jesus. And then we have two responses to this man, two responses to this man. And this is kind of where the rubber hits the road. Uh, So, a pig and a chicken are walking down the road, and the chicken says, hey, pig, what do you think about starting a restaurant together? And the pig says, hmm, I don't know, um, what will we call it? And the chicken says, how about ham and eggs? And the pig thinks for a moment, and he says, ah, no thanks. I'd be committed. You'd only be involved. Um, Yeah, okay. That one wasn't as good as the sheepdogs, but it was still good. Uh, This this distinction between being committed and being involved, this distinction between being committed and being interested beautifully captures the two responses to Jesus. So, um, maybe you've had this experience You've had the experience of being committed to someone who is only interested in you, right? Uh, I, I dated a girl in high school at, at one point, and I was like really committed to her. Like I was like, you are, you are maybe the one for me. And I thought that right up into the point where I came back from a trip and realized she was then dating someone else. And I realized she was not the one for me, and she was not committed. She was interested, right? Um, maybe you've experienced that before, someone who 
to whom you are committed or something to which you are committed, and they're only interested in you. Um, there's a, a guy named Blas Close who uh, does some leadership uh, instruction. He says, um, love and commitment are your friends on the road to success. You can move on and learn from quick no's. You can be super happy if you get a yes. But interesting is your biggest enemy. Interested is not equal committed. That goes for all the people you interact with, and it goes for you yourself. You are not committed if while you are out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're texting other people. You are not committed if you are in the midst of a project at work or at school and find yourself playing video games or playing on social media. You're not committed if you're trying to lose weight and you find time to run to the store but not run to the gym or run at all, right? Um, You're just interested. This is what Herod is, isn't he? Herod is super interested in the gospel. I mean, he brings John in. He actually protects John from his wife because he's so interested. Wow, like, you are such an interesting preacher, John, and I love what you have to say, and I don't like the things you say about me and my wife, but in general, you are really interesting. Um, There are a lot of Christians today who are really interested in Jesus. At the end of the day, um, what happens to people that are just interested is we find a way to kill off that interested voice so we can stay committed to other things. I mean, Herod literally kills the voice, right? But, but we find other ways to just drown it out. Uh, there was a, a survey that was done recently, uh, actually a few years ago, by the Barna Group, and they talked about religious affiliations in America, and there were 21 percent of Americans that fell into one of two categories. Ten percent of Americans fell into a category of loving Jesus but not the church. And 11% of Americans fell into a category where they self-described themselves as spiritual but not religious. And I thought, boy, um, that's 21% of people that are interested. Ah, I'm interested in spiritual things. I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in His preaching, but not committed. Interested is the enemy of committed. So the disciples are the alternative, right? This is what I love about the disciples. They just, I mean, these guys, they're not the brightest bulbs in the lamp, right? I mean, I like them, but they're just, they're on the struggle bus. They are, right? Let's just be honest. Um, And yet, Jesus keeps coming and giving them more authority and more responsibility and more power because they are so committed, right? They're willing to follow Jesus and do great things with and for Him, even if they don't get it. Uh, St. Anselm famously talked about um, we are to be a people with fa- who have faith-seeking understanding. I want to suggest that what Jesus does with the disciples is He says, you need to be people serving-seeking understanding because it's in obeying and serving Jesus that we finally come to know Him. We finally get it. We finally get past our hard hearts. Um, It's our commitment that precedes our understanding that leads us to know and follow Jesus well. So, uh, Jesus does this with the disciples in so many beautiful ways. I mean, He sends them out in pairs. They do ministry. They cast out demons. They heal the sick. Then they come back. You notice in the feeding of the 5,000, you notice who gives out the food? It's not Jesus. It's the apostles, right? He says, hey, I'm going to bless the food. I'm going to break it. I'll give it out to you guys. At this point, presumably he's not giving them out like baskets full of enough food for 5,000 people because they couldn't carry it, right? He's just giving them little broken pieces of bread and fish. And the miracle happens as they are passing it out to people. As they're giving it away, something miraculous happens. Um, and, 
and their choice is to say, hey, I'm going to take these like six pieces of tiny ripped off bread and these like three pieces of tiny ripped up fish, and I'm going to start handing it out to folks, and I'm just going to see how it goes, right? That's commitment, right? That's commitment. I'm going to go on this journey, and I'm not going to take extra clothes or extra money or extra food. I'm just going to go and hope it works out okay. By the way, I've never cast out a demon before, but I'm going to try it when it happens. That's commitment, right? Notice what happens when the disciples come back. Verse 33, many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And as Jesus went ashore, He saw a great crowd. Why are these 5,000 people gathered? Because of the disciples, right? It's not because of Jesus. The disciples went out and they did their ministry and people follow them. And because they're following Jesus, all those crowds end up with Jesus too. This is just so essential and basic for us um, that if we want to be a people who come to know Jesus, it happens with commitment first. It happens when we say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make a risky choice to do what Jesus calls me to do, even though I don't totally get it yet, because in serving with Him, I come to understand Him. There's a, a, a movie out, uh, came out a few months ago called Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen Jesus Revolution? Um, so the short version of this movie is it is a summary of um, the Jesus movement and the 60s and 70s where a whole bunch of people that were involved in the hippie movement became Christians. And so from that comes the Jesus people and the Harvest Church and the Vineyard Church and all these big congregations. And um, really exciting stuff happens. Um, this particular clip is uh, two historical figures played by actors, of course, um, that are talking about um, the opportunity that exists to bring this unreached people group into the church. Will you play that clip for me? Jeanette tells me you're a pastor. Yes, currently. I know we must seem pretty strange. But if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. So to answer your question, how do I describe my people? They're sheep without a shepherd, chasing hard after lies. And the trouble is, your people reject them. So I ask you, Pastor, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? We can only walk through doors open to us. And your church? Well, that's a door that's shut. Jesus came in with them. In the film, uh, Kelsey Graham plays Chuck Smith, and he is a pastor whose church is small, and he is 
very opposed to this whole movement, free love, craziness thing that's going on in his world. And then his daughter becomes a hippie. Uh, and then um, one thing leads to another, and he has to make a choice. Um, will he make a risky commitment that requires some trust and bring these people in, risking his church, risking his job? Um, or will he just be interested in sharing the gospel without taking any steps to do it? Uh, I just love this simple idea that we come to know Jesus not through um, great preaching or through um, deep Bible study. We come to know Jesus by putting our trust in Him, by, by making a commitment and saying, Jesus, I don't get it all yet, but the little bit I get is enough for me to want You in my life and to want to walk and live and follow You. A commitment to serving Jesus doesn't just come um, in opening up our congregations. It, it comes in opening up our calendars and our checkbooks. It comes with our habits and our hang-ups. It comes when we insist in involving Jesus in our daily lives and in our religious holidays and in our family time, when we sacrifice our convenience for His kingdom. Now, I have all these people in my life that I'm so proud of because I see them making these risky commitments to serve with Jesus even when they don't, they're not sure they get it all yet. I have a friend speaking in a few weeks at a banquet about a really painful part of her story and what God's done, uh, and she is terrified, um, but she's going to show up and she's going to speak up. Now, I have students who, in the midst of incredibly busy schedules, are making time for church and confirmation and youth group and memorizing Scripture, and it's inspiring for me. I have a student who keeps inviting friends. Every week she shows up with somebody new at youth group because she gets it, right? I've got somebody who's being baptized at our 6 p.m. service tonight who's at a later stage in her life, who's intimidated a little bit about um, that process, but recognizes that she wants to make that commitment to publicly profess her faith. None of these people have it perfect. Right? I don't have it perfect. You don't have it perfect. We don't always get it. But in serving Jesus, we come to know Him. So the question is, are we interested or are we committed? Committed comes at a cost. Committed means you aren't doing something else because you are doing the work of Jesus. And here's the thing, those two kings that we talked about, they embody the distinction between interested and committed. Uh, Herod was interested in his subjects. He's interested in what they think. He's interested in what's popular. He's paying attention to the local news. Jesus is committed. The shepherd of Israel, the true shepherd of Israel, the true king of the Jews, reveals himself in the feeding of the 5,000, but he doesn't get that title, the king of the Jews until it's written on a small sign right above the wooden stake upon which he is nailed. Fake kings just require interest because that's all they have to offer. The real king, the king of the Jews, requires commitment because he offers real commitment to us. Which response will you offer today? Thanks be to God. Amen.